the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. As we head into Hour 3, it's a delight to welcome into the studio General Mick McGuire, formerly the Adjutant General of the National Guard here in Arizona, now a candidate for the United States Senate. His website, electmick.com. Mick, M-I-C-K, electmick.com. Uh, Mick McGuire, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Seth. Thanks for having me. It, you know, it's funny. I bring you guys in. And every time it's about a crisis. We never we never come here and talk Seems about like the good things. There's plenty of those lately, huh? I was reading your Twitter feed this morning, and I was glad for uh, the history, which I didn't know about, and I'll let you talk about in just a moment. I was glad you recited it. But let me just, in regard to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley, let me just um, let me just quote from a tweet of yours uh, this morning or last night. The Constitution demands that military leaders subordinate their interests to their civilian commander-in-chief. Anything less leads to chaos and despotism. Take it from there, Mick. Well, yeah, I've been doing a lot of interviews. This is my first radio, but this is a fifth in the last, uh, I think, 36 hours referenced this idea that General Milley uh, made a call to China. Uh, in the days following the September 6th incident. January. Or yeah, January yeah, 6th, yeah, yeah. sorry, January yeah. 6th incident. And uh, what I said on all of these occasions is it's clear now by the lack of denial by the Pentagon, it's clear that the, the call happened. Uh, it was also clear that there's indication that there's records of the call, so I'm calling on the Pentagon to release the records. If they're certain everything was perfect, they should put it out quickly. Uh, but as I've said before, after the... Just the horrible uh, withdrawal from Kabul in terms of how it was coordinated, giving up Bagram, uh, turning over the keys to 6,000 of the worst terrorists uh, in the world at the prisoner camp there, uh, and now uh, leaving just even one American behind being unconscionable. Uh, the American people have lost confidence in not only General Milley, but the President of the United States. And I said in an interview this morning, uh, military commanders live and die by this line, we have lost confidence. You'll see it at the bottom of the scroll on Fox News when someone's relieved of duty. And they can delegate all of their authority, but none of their responsibility. And if what's alleged is uh, actually true, it is, uh, at the very least, inappropriate, at the very worst, illegal and court martialable offense for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs to communicate with one of our enemies and subvert the chain of command. That's not in his federal Title X duty responsibilities as defined by federal statute. There, thank you for that, General. Maybe we'll get to Afghanistan, too, in a moment, uh, in a few moments. I'd love your thoughts, uh, continued thoughts on that as well. But let me stick with this civilian control of the military for a moment. The, pres the previous president, Donald Trump, was impeached for making a phone call to an ally. And the transcript of that was pretty quickly released. If the president can be impeached for calling an ally talking about foreign aid, it seems to me this is about 30,000 leagues different than that. You have a general of the Joint Chiefs 
disregarding not only his civilian commander-in-chief, but making now two, maybe two phone calls, and not to an ally, and not discussing foreign aid, but undermining the strategic, if not tactical, organization of the United States military, no? That's right. And uh, as I said... true. Oh, absolutely. And it's important to understand the chairman of the Joint Chiefs is the most senior military official by rank and order and precedence. So he is the top dog militarily, but he is not a military commander. He is not in the chain of command. In the intro, you said I was the adjutant general of the great state of Arizona. Did I get it right? That okay. Got it right. It's hard to but pronounce. I am. The, <laughs> That's what I was just e- saying. Easier way to reference yeah. it is I was the commanding general of 8,300 National Guardsmen in all 15 counties in this great state, Army and Air, primary combat reserve of the United States Air Force, United States Army. The chain of command in the Indo-PACOM theater goes through the PACOM commander up through the Secretary of Defense to the president. Millie is an advisor as the chairman. And I was asked this morning what that means. Clearly, if he were to resign and he made a call subverting the chain of command, undermining confidence in one of our, if not our biggest threat, China, in the greatness of this nation and the security and uh, confidence our people have in this nation, that is a court-martialable offense. That is treasonous behavior. Well, it would seem to me that if one of General Mark Milley's subordinates, which I guess would be anyone in the Uniformed Services of America almost, if anyone of his subordinates disobeyed a direct command of his to engage in illegal activity, he'd have been gone by now. Oh, absolutely. And as I said... You'll see the scroll at the bottom of Fox News. It'll say, we've lost confidence in this uh, battleship commander. Lost confidence. That's a very serious concern, even for those of us who have never been privileged to wear the uniform as you have, like myself. Because I think the American people generally are kind of looking around and seeing Afghanistan. Even, even We don't have to get into the COVID stuff, but you'll understand my point, I think which is the government has now gone, it seems to me, hell-bent on a series of things that just the most of American people know aren't true, just aren't true. We will get every American out. There's only 100 Americans left. I mean, Afghanistan alone has made our allies lose confidence, and I, and I know a lot of Americans. Oh, absolutely. You know, the hypocrisy of what's happening with all of this is I did an interview before the collapse of Kabul, and I said, Seth, It is easier right now to traffic a nine-year-old female across the southwest border into the sex trade illegally than it is for you or I to get lunch in Los Angeles. This isn't serious discussion about either public health or border and human security here in Arizona. It's a good point. And then, of course, we also have the illegal immigration problem. We were just watching a news clip together on the numbers, which have not gone down. It's a weird thing. The press doesn't report on it doesn't mean it's not happening. And I think one of the best things someone in your position and the position you're aspiring to and someone in my position can do is reiterating or at least iterating for the first time the news that most most journalists won't promote. But I'm going to guess that the Millie story is going to go away and he'll get off scot-free as everyone seems to uh, just play this game of if it's a Republican, it's one standard. And if it's a Democrat, it's a, it's another. If one rule for the Greeks, one rule for the Romans. I think Americans are tired of it. I'd like to think they're tired of it. Yeah, I agree. And I just uh, I have confidence that in the military, this is a unique uh, situation under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Any commissioned officer can prefer charges for court martial against another officer if they believe they violated the Uniform Code of Military Justice. 
and that officer is afforded due process, right to defense counsel. Uh, but I would not be surprised if another officer didn't decide to uh, make that allegation if that transcript is released and it reveals what we believe it has said. Are people afraid? Uh, is there any is there any sense of fear in this culture? I mean, you wrote a very strong letter to uh, was your was your January letter directly to General McGuire? I don't remember. It was from me to General Hokinson, our conduit of uh, communication okay. to the Joint Chiefs. He's well, that was Chief very strong, Barbara. and I I assume that's that's the kind of man you are, but. Is it harder for others, I mean, to go after General Milley? Well, I I think that um, in this particular uh, case, those of you in the press and in the media are going to be the first line of defense about getting transparency and getting the transcript. But in terms of the process, uh, the military has this unique code of military justice, separate and distinct from our state penal codes and federal codes of justice. And uh, there's a process by which... We can do that. I'll tell you, I don't know of any chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff that's ever been in this kind of hot water with uh, potential uh, uh, Uniform Code of Military Justice violations. I was trying to think of historical examples of it, and it's really hard to think about. It's really hard to consider. But maybe, too, the general class and the officer class in the military has changed a little bit from what it used to be. Well, here's what I would say. You know, after the Kabul thing, I talked to a lot of folks that remember the Saigon incident. And I ask, please do not denigrate the greatness of our young men and women that serve in uniform. Continue to thank them for their service. But it is not an unfair criticism to call out senior leaders, civilian and military, about failed strategic, operational, and tactical decisions. And I think the failure in Kabul and the withdrawal is the greatest military failing uh, in the history of the country, not just in my lifetime, I can think of no greater failing where three months ago we had complete freedom of movement, and now we have Americans trapped behind enemy lines. And you suspect, I, I don't know the answer to this, but you suspect it's more than the hundred they're saying I do. I, I have no idea. I keep telling the media if it's even one, it's one too many. If it's your brother, your uncle, your sister, whatever, it's one too many. I remember uh, stories of, I was too young, but I remember stories of people wearing bracelets of the Vietnam POWs. And I just said, something, something, something makes me want to create bracelets. If we can get the names of those left behind in Afghanistan, I don't want them to be forgotten. i got to take a commercial break, General. Uh, can you stay with us just you a bet. little bit longer? You bet. Our guest is General Mick McGuire, candidate for the United States Senate. Elect Mick.com. Elect Mick, M-I-C-K.com is his website. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It's an honor to have in studio General Mick McGuire. He is a candidate for the United States Senate. ElectMick.com is his website, M-I-C-K. He is the former adjutant general of the National Guard here in Arizona. Before I ask you a little bit about um, the culture of our politics, General McGuire, uh, just just an observation from my perspective that is totally unlearned, but you can straighten me out. It seems like the National Guard has been asked to do a lot more than it usually has been asked of late. Is that a misperception on my part? No, it's not. When I retired on April 10th in the previous 13 months, uh, we mobilized over 85% of the Guard of the 8,300 soldiers and airmen. We had 1,000 of them still doing overseas missions in Afghanistan, Iraq, Indo-PACOM, wherever they were deployed. 
3,000 on COVID, 812 at the border, 1,495 for civil unrest in mid-June, and 260 at the Four Peaks fire. Add to it 2,200 of them in a full-time capacity at 29 locations around the state. Not since 1942 have we mobilized that number of guardsmen at once. And, you know, the Guard, as I said, is the primary combat reserve of the United States Army and the United States Air Force. We can never walk away from that. Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution talks about raising an army by of and through the militias and leaving to the governors the ability to train to that standard. And that's something that this country can never walk away from. Very humbling. By the way, that standing army notion is part and parcel of the importance of civilian control of the military. Exactly. That's exactly. where it all comes from. Right. Right? Hamilton and Jefferson. Yep. Right. Hamilton and Jefferson hated each other. But they, uh, they, they said the greatest threat to the fledgling republic, a large standing army and oppressive taxation. I would argue we have arrived, Seth. Well, I, have, I, I would too. And I, well, I got to ask a, a parenthetical I, just because I study rhetoric. You came in here with no notes. and How did you do all those numbers? How do you do that? I just uh, you uh, just have that kind of brain. I just walk. That was impressive. All, just, <laughs> was, all up there. In the, that was impressive. It's all in my melon. Well, if we've lost something, and I suspect on the campaign trail, you hear from citizens a lot about prospective voters a lot about things we've lost here. They probably ask, "How do we get it back?" I get that yeah. question. You get that question? Yeah. You know, I think the biggest. You asked me during the break, yeah. "What's the biggest question I've heard at the grassroots, the ledge districts, the." Republican women's clubs, the activist groups, the uh, business groups and the rest. It's really about, you know, how are we going to restore trust and confidence in this great republic and remind people this is a constitutional republic of independent states and that in the Republican Party, the party that I'm running for Senate from, uh, we believe the lines between the states matter. And the first and foremost uh, requirement of the United States Senate is to keep the federal government out of our elections. And allow this to be a state's rights issue. I was asked in 2019 about election security by the Secretary of State long before COVID. And I told her, as the cyber task force, we had a cyber task force in the organization. The most secure election is in-person voting with an ID and a hand count. That's See, the most secure. I, I, you didn't ask me what's the most expeditious or what we've already spent money on or what should we do with the machines. That's the most, uh, that's the most secure. General, um, one of the one of one of the things I hear a lot from listeners is that um, they feel like there are things they want to do, but they have lost confidence in even the election process. Right. This Mm -hmm. is what we're getting Mm -hmm. to. I convince I I try to convince them not to, because, I mean, indolence is the last thing we need here. I mean, nothing has been gained by cynicism. Nothing has been gained by staying home. Uh, confidence to the electorate. I mean, I, I, I think what we're seeing, for example, at the school boards is an incredibly new and encouraging movement. And, you know, all elections are important. Yours, of course. But I'm, I'm starting to think that maybe some of these school board elections might be the most important. I have been telling people if they want to do something, I mean, running for U.S. Senate is a big undertaking right. and it's a few a few people can swing it and handle it. But I think school board really is where we're going to see most of the grassroots change that needs to be that needs to be taken in this country. If you want to affect the future, you've got to start with the young. And the only people who don't understand that is the conservative movement. Right. Well, I, I will. Uh, I totally agree with you. The energy is real. So while we hear this frustration about the election, this is a state's rights issue. 
It's a states' rights issue and a strict constitutionalist and Antonin Scalia conservative. It's a states' rights issue. And what I tell people is here's what we're going to do to win this election and to restore confidence. We're going to raise an army. An army without hope is a defeated army. We are not defeated. We're going to raise an army of two million voters. Two million voters all wearing T-shirts that say, I pick Mick in November. November 8th, four-hour-long lines with people wearing shirts that say, I pick Mick. And we will overwhelm them at the polls and will be the first statewide candidate to raise that army of two million voters. We can't give up hope. This is still the greatest country in the history of the world. You just can't give up. You don't not vote. You don't walk away. So we, we take it at face value. We leave the state legislature to take action, and we turn out and raise the army we need in November of next year. But the energy is real, Seth. I went to an LD meeting on July 21st of this past few months ago. It was 108. There were over 300 people in the room in an off election year. Over 300 people. The energy is real. And you're seeing it in school board elections, city council elections, state races, everywhere. The novelist Flannery O'Connor said you have to push as hard against the age and culture as pushes against you. And I think, uh, you know, hard times are going to require strong people. And that's why I think we in uh, we who consider ourselves conservatives, we're looking around for people who don't just tell us what they're doing, but have shown us, have shown us what they do. Uh, it's enough of people talking um, and 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 guaranteeing things that they have no record to back up and Republicans fall for it, independents fall for it. It's time to have the real thing, isn't it? I mean, people talk about how poor our movement is and our party is, but I do remind them it's stronger now and better than it used to be, to be quite honest. We have a long ways to go. But, you know, I can name you 15 probably off the top of my head congressmen and senators that I just think are top notch. I couldn't do that in the Reagan administration. I think I think we're doing better. They are, too, by the way. You know, back in the day, there was one socialist in Congress. There's now about five. So they're doing better. We're doing better. We just have to outmarch and outwork them, don't we? That's right. Uh, Washington reminded us tyranny of the majority is far worse than tyranny of the individual. And uh, we're going to raise the army to win with a group of strict constitutional conservatives that know that Arizona's interests have to be first when you represent the citizens that are at their core, copper miners, cattle growers, and cotton farmers. That's what we are. General McGuire, I know you're a busy man. It means a lot that you would come in and talk to us about this uh, breaking news story or this hot news story on a day like today. You can learn more about General McGuire and help him out at electmick.com, electmick, M-I-C-K dot com. General, Godspeed. Thank you very much, Seth, and God bless you as well. Thank you. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Um, what the general was talking about in the uh, last two segments is, I know to many it's a big story, but it's actually a small part of a much larger story. It's a small part of a larger story that unless we grasp and grasp soon, we're going to see repeated again and again and again, and not only repeated, but exacerbated this will never get better on its own. 
we uh, we conservatives and Republicans like to pay lip service to a lot of quotes from Ronald Reagan. And the one I fear we pay the most lip service to, you've heard me on this before, is this quote that freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We don't pass it on to our children in their bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free. Close quote. Nice quote. I've always thought we in Arizona had a particular obligation to it since the first time he ever said it was in Phoenix in 1961 at a Chamber of Commerce meeting. But he said it often, and indeed it was in his inaugural speech as governor. He put that spe- that uh, line in his uh, inaugural speech when he uh, became governor in 1967. Why am I bringing this up? Because when Ronald Reagan is talking about freedom never being more than one generation away from extinction, ask yourselves, when did you start noticing such extinction if you think freedom is a discount today. I don't know anyone who doesn't think freedom is at a major discount today. When did we start noticing that erosion? How long has it been? I put it to you that it's been about a generation. About a generation. About the last 25 to 30 years. So this new expression, I've been using it too. The receipts are in. I don't know if you've heard it, but you see that more and more. Now we have the receipts. Or so-and-so is bringing the receipts. Well, we have been, despite some of our criticisms, condemnations, and warnings about this, we have been graduating 6 million high school students and another six million college graduates every year. I submit that about 80% or more, but not less, have been drenched, steeped, soaked, and trained in socialist Marxist thought. How many years can that go on? Well, I would submit to you that the receipts are now in. We are now seeing the wages of such indoctrination. So the discussion I think that we conservatives need to take a lot more seriously, thank you, a lot more seriously, is is our education system. It wasn't always the most sexiest of topics. It is now the most important of topics. And not only education, but patriotism. Patriotism as well requires a new defense and discussion. All of this is wedded into something Dennis Prager said, which is we will turn this country around when conservatives are as proud of their conservatism as leftists are of theirs. When we start, so to speak, coming out of the closet. What was it Charles Lipson, professor at University of Chicago, said yesterday? It's more, it's easier to come out as transgendered today than it is as a conservative in many, many communities, particularly the more elite communities. The more elite, 
the more unpopular it is to utter a conservative notion, which is why you have the story I was talking about yesterday about two different young adults I had met, very well-educated, very well-to-do families who have a college graduate and a high school student, two different families, two different incidents. The high school student who lives in California, well-traveled, very smart, didn't know that there were riots in America last year. The college graduate, very smart, he didn't know why anyone would possibly be against masking children because it's crazy to think that it could cause any harm to them. I told the stories yesterday. These notions of fact that there were riots in this country, that there are questions about uh, masks and children, to put it no higher, there are questions about it. I think there are definitive answers, but let's just be gentle here and say there are questions. That people, smart, educated, urbane people, can have lived the last year and a half not knowing anything about those things, there's a reason they don't know. There's a reason. I want to talk about that when we come back. Over the past couple few years – welcome back, I should say. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Over the past um, several years – yeah, past several years, I would say um, – I have always been of – mixed mind on the power of the media. And when people would say it's impossible for conservatives or Republicans to have a fair shot in this country given the media, I was always inclined to think about exceptions to that point because there is a good hard sense of the American people that is, I still think, stronger than any other force. Propaganda can be strong. The question is, Is it stronger than patriotism? I'll tell you what I mean by this. When people would talk about media, I'd often say, yes, but how do you explain something like 1972 or 1984, where incumbent Republican presidents, in the first case Nixon and the second one Reagan, were hated, hated by every editorial page in the country? Almost. Almost. Every editorial page in the country. Almost. In fact, I would argue that if you were a Martian who landed on Earth and knew everything about politics in 1984 from the New York Times, CBS, PBS, NBC, ABC, CBS, The Washington Post, NPR, PBS, what am I missing? If And that was the media landscape in the 80s. If all you knew about politics was from those papers and those TV channels, networks, you would be flabbergasted to realize that Reagan could win 49 states. Same would be true of Nixon in 1972. So I always discounted the power of the media, but against when it came against the common sense and the good wisdom of the American people. But it required a few things that don't exist anymore, that point. And just as I and others of my viewpoint were speaking, the media was understanding this point as well. Their answer to that problem was to double down and get stronger. Our answer to that problem was to not worry about it. And so we didn't. And that's true of our classrooms as well. You've heard me on this. We used to dismiss what took place in our classrooms 
as just fever swamps of silly little fuddy-duddy professors that don't matter much. Well, as I like to say, these ideas in these ivory towers stemming from Marx, emanating forward from that, these ideas in the ivory towers, they leaked. There was a lab leak. And they leaked into suffusion into the rest of America, to places we thought were impermeable to leftism, socialism, and Marxism. Places we thought impermeable. I mean, it used to be a joke when I was in high school to have a hippie join the football team. Now the National Football League represents everything the hippies ever did, except more so. Except more so. And what do you do with a chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? Never mind the current story. I'm still on the one two months ago where he openly admitted he was reading Marx and Lenin to better understand America. That's what he said. It wasn't reading Marx and Lenin to better understand the enemy. That's not what he said. He said he was reading Marx and Lenin to better understand this country. I remember an education system and a patriotism where we read Americans to understand America. And if we read people from other countries, as I always encourage and always support, we would read those who understood America and not those who merely philosophized about it. Your John Stuart Mills, your Chestertons, your Tocquevilles, your Lafayettes who came here and understood it and in some respects understood us better than we may have even understood ourselves. Maybe. Maybe. But we never, never gave those accolades. We never gave those accolades ever to enemies of the United States. I mean, that is an important distinction, is it not? When you cite the likes of the French who've written about America, Tocqueville, Marquis de Lafayette, others, Crevecourt, or the English, the British, they came here and they reported. But more importantly, they wanted us to succeed because they saw something special and important and different and unique and better here. That's not what Marx and Lenin were about. That's not what their diagnosis of America was, any more than it was Mao Zedong's, who General Milley also said he read to better understand America. Now, you can read, as we've discussed, bad things and still be a good person, wrong things, evil things. You can study under bad professors and still be a good scholar and person. You can study under good and become bad. I, I get all that. I get all that. But I got to ask what in the Sam hell is our chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff doing reading Mao and Lenin and Marx and telling the American people to read them to better understand America? Once you understand that fall, you better understand why he had no compunctions calling China and disobeying his American president in doing so. 
if you think civilian control of the military is important, that's fine. I do, always have, left used to. You have to appreciate where that notion comes from. You bet it was important to George Washington and Madison and Hamilton wrote about it. And, of course, they got it from earlier Western civilization. But why, if you hate Western civilization, would you like the concept of civilian control of the military? If you want to understand how people can go to sleep at night knowing they're defending a rogue chief of staff, of the, uh, 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 chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, a rogue general, how they can go to night defending ro- the, the rogue general, it's because they don't believe in the principles that what he did constitute rogueness. They think he was a hero. Joe Biden does. This is our problem. This is our problem. We have a perverted view of America, constitutionalism, and patriotism. One of the best speeches Abraham Lincoln ever gave was his speech at the Sanitation Fair in Baltimore. We can go into that later. You've heard me quote from it before. I won't do so now except to point out that even Lincoln understood that a slave owner and a slave can have different dictionaries just as a wolf and a sheep can have different dictionaries. The sheep's definition of liberty is different from the wolf's just as the slave owners is different from the slaves. His point was we need one dictionary where freedom means freedom, where liberty means liberty, where equality means equality, where patriotism means patriotism, and where words mean things. We, um, we will close today's show, speaking of words, with some from America's dictionarist, Noah Webster. Never heard of Webster's Dictionary. comes from Noah Webster, who wrote that every child in America should be acquainted with his own country. Every child in America should be acquainted with his own country, not only with its settlement and geography, but also with its principles and the illustrious heroes and statesmen responsible for its liberty. These are interesting objects to every man. They call home the minds of youth and fix them upon the interests of their own country, and they assist in forming attachments to it, as well as enlarging the understanding. Noah Webster dedicated his life to making this possible. So did an awful lot of patriots, some in our uniforms, some not. Some in uniforms, some not. A lot of people worked to make that possible. How many are working now to make it impossible? Is patriotism bigger than progressivism? We'll pick up on that tomorrow. But the degree, to the degree that it isn't, to the degree that progressivism is stronger than patriotism, is the extent to which this is no longer a free country. I'm Seth Liebson, and we'll see you tomorrow. God bless, and class dismissed.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.